Hey everyone, it's Allison Lee, your host here from CraftCast.com. And on today's show, I'll be talking to Martha Levan, uh, previously an editor with Lark Books, as well as I have lots of other things to share with you. So let's get started. Show number 178. Starting the day again, oh yeah. Letting the sun shine in, uh-oh. I'm gonna dig within myself, uh-oh. Life may be never what you think, but I think I'll just go with it and create something new. Just get yourself right into your chair. Come on, listen, you can learn to create something new. It starts inside you. Well, 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 it's me, Allison Lee, back here for another week. Oh, talking about everything crafty here from the Craftcast studio uh, in this beautiful October fall day. It's one of those fabulous ones when all the leaves are looking incredibly gorgeous. All those beautiful colors that get us all, all excited and inspired in a whole new color palette. I do love that, I have to say. Uh... And what was I? Oh, I was watching on um, Saturday Night Live on Saturday night a skit that cracked me up. Um, Christina Applegate was doing it, and she was doing in song how wonderful it is that there's, uh, what was it? There's still like eight more days with no holidays. (laughs) In other words, we don't have to decorate yet for anything. It's not Halloween just yet. Uh, and I'm with her. It's that freedom of, yoo-hoo, we can just enjoy fall. We don't have to be buying presents, decorating, planning parties. I don't mean to be bah, bah humbug, but I certainly enjoy it as well, is all I can say. Even though I will say, well, I just said the word Halloween. Don't forget to come over to the craftcast.com site and sign up for a great class we have on Halloween evening with Barbara Becker-Simon, showing how to make um, fun silver clay toggles for your... Uh, necklaces and whatever else you want to use them for. She always is a hoot and a holler in a great class. It's sort of perfect for Halloween. And if I could throw virtual candy at everyone who comes on, I will. I promise. Uh, So what else is going on? Uh, This is a sad, here's another sad little tale, no pun intended with the word tale. Uh, I, and I appreciate anyone who has any advice out there, I uh, started feeding the birds. I have a little backyard. I call it out in the woods, but there's really a sidewalk outside, so it's not really in the woods. It just looks that way after leaving Manhattan. Uh, and it, I put up a bird feeder, and I got the kind with the cage around it because, forget the first one, that didn't last at all with the squirrel. So now I have it up there with the cage, and I'm standing outside last night, and lo and behold, that little squirrel hanging upside down from its tail putting its little paws in and just like eating as fast as you possibly could, just reaching all the way in and jamming seed in its little mouth. And and I proceeded to go take the closest thing I had in the kitchen, which was unfortunately dinner, a uh, big bowl of Brussels sprouts I was going to cook and started tossing them out there, trying to get the squirrel off the feeder. And I swear it was like watching a pro in gym class playing volleyball. He just dodged those little Brussels sprouts with ease, just like chattering away, like laughing back at me. <laughs> oh, never got him off. Then I got him off the the uh, feeder. Then I ran out of ammunition or dinner and uh, woke up this morning and all the seeds gone again. So 
I don't know, do I just decide that what I'm doing is feeding squirrels? As my son said, maybe you need to leave the country. <laughs> Sounds a little scary what's happening up there. Anyway, I'm sure people out there know how to deal with these squirrels. I'd love to know. Please send me some help with Allison at Crabcast.com. I would appreciate that. Thank you so much up front for a little squirrel help. And yes, I've already tried spraying the whole bar that goes up to the feeder with WD-40. That just kept everyone away for about 10 hours. What can I tell you? So, all right, there's my sad little tale. Now back to uh, crafting and other fun things. Uh, what else did I want to share with you? Uh, I wanted to share with you, ooh, a book that I really love. Matter of fact, I want to try and get Austin on as a guest. The book's called Steal Like an Artist by Austin Cleon, K-L-E-O-N. You come over to craftcast.com for uh, the links so you can easily find the book. And it's one of those sit down and read in one sitting, a little square book. And it's just great how it deals with um, uh, his approach to creativity. And, you know, as it's called, steal like an artist. It's like what that's really about, you know, how you gather other ideas, how there aren't any other new ideas out there. I just found the book quite delightful and inspiring. So check that out. I think you can even do it on your, uh, your Kindle or your iPad. But it's one of those ones that's sort of fun to have and to hold as I am right now. It's a cute little black square book. And, uh, yeah, I just thought there's great little illustrations and, and, and drawings in there. And I think you'll love that, uh, as well. Um, here's number five. I just turned to his important facts, side projects and hobbies are important. Uh, <laughs> here's another one, a, a quote. We don't know where we get our ideas from. What we do know is that we do not get them from our laptops. There you go. Uh, so anyway, it's great fun. It'll get you laughing and enjoying. So I recommend that. Still Like an Artist by Austin Kleon. And then I'm going to share with you a piece of software because uh, that's how I always found out about software that I love. And this one's called Snagit. Inexpensive little piece of software you download to your desktop. And what this allows you to do is take screenshots of anything on your desktop you know, uh, the whole desktop, individual windows, et cetera, et cetera. And yes, that is built into the Mac. You can push, what is it, command option three and take a, a screenshot. But this, it's like you get a little uh, art kit with it. So um, often I have to take a screenshot for someone, something I'm trying to explain. I take a picture of something and then I draw on top of it with an arrow, uh, with a little bubble box. You know, this is where I want the tree to be planted you know, on the photograph, or, you know, here is what my screen looks like right now, and I can't figure out what to do next. Uh, but it's, it, and then you, it, it saves it as a little file, little ping file, and you email it or print it or whatever you need. But I think it's a great little piece of software. Uh, and it's stills and movies. So you can take a uh, um, snapshot video of your desktop as well. So I find it, I mean, it's one of those ones that I use every day uh, because let's say I'm looking at something in Photoshop or in InDesign or in whatever, and I want someone to see what it looks like that little bit. I don't want to send them that whole file. So I just take a quick screenshot of it. And because it has those other little tools, you know, I could go in and do the screenshot on the Mac the normal way, open it up in Photoshop, type in Photoshop, blah, 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 blah. It's just a quick little way to do that type of thing. So try it. You might find it very useful. Snag it. Again, you can find the link to that info on the Craftcast site. And then I saw a movie the other night. I'm going to just chat about 
briefly. I thought it was great. I love movies that have historic reference in them. Uh, and this one is called Argo, directed by Ben Affleck. He also stars in it, which I always wonder. How do you direct and star in your same in the you know same show? But he does, and he does it well. Um, I'm going to read to you what it's about because it's better than what I can say. The movie Argo chronicles a life or death co- uh, covert operation to rescue six Americans, which unfolded behind the scenes of the Iran hostage crisis, the truth of which was unknown by the public for decades. I love that part. Uh, it was in 1979, as the Iranian revolution reached its boiling point, militants stormed the U.S. embassy in Tehran, taking 52 American hostages. But in the midst of the chaos, six Americans slip away to find refuge in the home of the Canadian ambassador. But they know in only a matter of time before the six are found out and likely killed. Um, A CIA exfiltration specialist named Tony Mendez comes up with a risky plan to get them safely out of the country. And there is humor in it, believe it or not, with the actors. And the plan is great. It's great. Uh, And it's a really good movie. I do recommend that. I love to go to the movies and have a really good time. It's a good popcorn eater for sure, especially when it gets all tense and you have to sort of yell at the, at the screen a little bit. <laughs> well, so there we go. There's a few things uh, to keep you thinking there. And like I said, you can always come over to the CraftCast site if you want to get a link to any of the things I just chatted about. Uh, so before we go on to today's guest, who you're going to love, Martha Levin, totally great and in case I don't remember later on to mention this, make sure you get the CraftCast app because there's great bonus questions uh, that I ask each of my guests and you only get that bonus material. It only gets loaded up onto the app, so you don't want to miss that. Anyway, today's guest, Martha Laval, you're going to love. She was uh, an editor for 11 years at Lark Books, all those great art books we loved. And now she's gone off to um, open her own uh, brick and mortar, her own shop in North Carolina where she is... Um, selling, promoting different jewelry artists, et cetera, et cetera. So very interesting to hear what she has to say. And before we get to that, I do have a piece of music I'm going to play for you today. Allison Gray. Um, she spells her names with two L's. Uh, her song is called Off My Mind, and she's great. Again, you can get her link for her music. Go over and buy it and support that artist. Uh, so enjoy this next song, Off My Mind, and then come on back. And I'll be chit-chatting with Ms. Martha Levin. I gotta get you out of my system I gotta get you off of my mind But how do I move on when no one compares They only keep me occupied I gotta break these chains that bind me I try to shake them off so desperately But you pull them tighter, string me along It's sad but I'm so Should have seen through it right from the start, but I chose to give it all away. And now I, I'm sitting here broken hearted, want to come and give me a break. Cause I've been waiting for so long. 
Well, I've been trying to set up talking to this woman. I'm very excited. I finally got an opportunity today to talk to Ms. Martha Levin. Uh, we all know her from her, oh, around 60 books that she worked on at Lark Books uh, that we all love in the Julianne creating world. Uh, now she's on to some new adventures I'm excited to hear about. Martha, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. Oh, Allison, thank you so much for inviting me. It's a real pleasure. Now, how does that happen that you end up where you do is publishing. Tell us a little bit about your background. And you know everyone loves working with you, too. Oh, thank you very much. Well, um, my mother was an artist, and my father was a lawyer. So I have this mix of Nice. Genes. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I have this interesting genetic uh, mashup that makes me want to be around creative people all the time. But it also makes me want to keep them very well organized. I love uh, it. So uh, in college, I was really lucky to go to a school that emphasized writing. Um, we didn't really have any memorized tests per se. We had to think for ourselves and write original content um, for all of our exams. And, and that um, really got me started as a writer. So I've been writing ever since. Um, and so my background in arts administration and art history really led me to LARC um, because I uh, have had a real keen interest in aesthetics of all kinds, craft and otherwise, um, prior to that and had the writing skills and I just needed to learn how to be an editor there. Are you the kind of person that needs to write every day? Are you those people that walk around with your journal, you're always writing, writing, writing? Um, no, I'm not much of a journaler, but I do take the time to craft um, the messages that I write. I mean, everybody writes emails, yeah. um, Facebooks, any kind of com written communication. I really enjoy a well-crafted written communication. You do. Oh, so you read it over and you change it and then your, a smile comes on your face at the end if you really like it. That's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm only, I love that. That's so not me is all I can say. I'm just like, oh, how many typos are in there? Just get rid of those. And I really, really, really appreciate people like you. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I really, um, you know, it's a creative act in and of itself writing. And, um, you know, I used to say when I worked at Lark that, um, pardon me, that's a loud truck. I hear a wild truck, but I know you're busy <laughs> at work in your shop now, but we're going to hear about that in a second. Go ahead. When you're working at Lark. Uh, you know, I, I I used to say I wasn't a maker. You know, I, I worked with makers, but I wasn't a maker until right. several years in. And then I realized, yes, I'm a maker. I make books. Right. And, you know, it's just a collaborative, creative process with um, other individuals. Exactly. Now, I was looking at your site, uh, which we also want to give the name of that out. So, um, and the, the link will be on the CraftCast blog. Uh, but I, th I found this and I thought it was really interesting. Um, it was actually an article that someone had written. And they asked you the question about some of the books you're most proud of. And one of the ones you mentioned was Lena Darty's book on enameling. And I love that you said it pushed your abilities to the limit. Because that book, when I got it, that fell into my, um, this is how I review books. How many days in a row do I literally carry it around to me, with me from room to room? Because I want to keep looking at it. And that <laughs> one was with me for a long time. So what do you mean by it pushed your abilities in that respect? Well, I think that um, Linda was very determined to, you know, create a book that, uh, the missing book in enameling. And um, meaning uh, she wanted to take all the knowledge that she had had gained throughout the years and really get it all into 
one publication and and somebody that has that much expertise it was challenging to kind of whittle it down into what would fit in 160 or 176 pages oh yeah um so it was really a, a intense process of trying to find um you know a point where we would say enough about something but you know not the total end all be all because that would be a whole nother book into itself you know, and, and try to do something that would satisfy uh, Linda as an author and, and the do, um, you know, do justice to enameling as a field and then be incredibly useful for, for the people that buy and work from the book. So it was challenging. Ah, it was well done, I have to say. Thank you. So, yeah, the editing process is interesting, I think, no matter what your medium is. I think so, and I think that we're all editors in some way or another. I mean, um, you know, if you're making something from clay or from paper, you're editing, you know, with every choice that you make to to add something or take away something from the composition. So um, that's just a, a means of visual editing. And, and making a book is, is um, you know, written editing as well as visual editing as well. And do you think that a deadline is your friend? Like, that's the only way you finally finish editing? Um, yeah, I don't think you ever really are, your definition of what finished is kind of has to change. Yeah. What's yours? Because I think that you have, I mean, at one point, especially in, in books, because you're actually manufacturing an object, there is a, there is a day where it has to leave the building (laughs) because there are literally, there are printing presses on hold in China. That's right. you're having it printed that are waiting for it. So, you know, you could work on something. I could work on a book forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. But I think that, and, and make it better and better and better and better, but it, you come to a point where it has to be good enough. Yes. You know, and, and no one's ever going to say, it's finished. You Correct. Know? You Correct. Just, to a point where you know that you've done what you can do with the resources and the time that you have. Yes, I hear you. Now, and that was truth for sure, whenever you're working with printing presses and magazines, I mean, the deadlines for all of that are crucial. It's like, it is now done whether you think it is or not. It is now complete. Um, But now, do you think that's changed drastically because of the internet? Because now we're, you can keep changing. How do you feel about all of that? When it's not a published book, but it's online. Online content? Online, yes, exactly. Online content. Um, I mean, we're, we, you know, it's, I guess what I'm asking is, it's so different now editing that whole process, because you just described a process of uh, what it was for many years, and still is, but we're getting away from that because of all online content. So you can constantly go back in and not worry about the press waiting in China. That's true. You can, but also, you know, I look back, I like to write, and finish a piece. Like I did a lot of blogging for Lark and um, do some for myself now. And I um, don't necessarily go back and change what I've written because I think it really reflects what I was thinking at a particular time. Right, right, right. Um, if, if you're writing truthfully and honestly, um, you know, from a place uh, that, uh, you know, I, I want it to kind of mark that that place. I want that mm, writing mm. to to reflect where I was at that time. And I don't necessarily want to go back and change it. Yeah. Now, I can understand like changing 
technical information, if you have like a firing schedule that's been updated or a new material that you want to add in, well, certainly you can do that instant gratification and update, you know, the information that you've published. And I think that's great. Very good point. So it's like we don't want to go back and retouch our Photoshop, our uh, high school graduation pictures now just because we can. (laughs) That is very well stated. (laughs) Good analogy. Thank you very much. So now how do you decide you're done with books? And now you've moved on. We're going to talk about what you're doing now, which is all exciting. What, what hits you like, okay, that was my last book. Is that how it happens or what goes, what happens? Um, for me, I, I had been um, with the same company for almost 12 years and um, I knew that um, it was time to make a change or else I would stay there another 12 years. Um, and uh, I had developed this incredible partnership with one of our authors, Joanna Galberg, And I was very fortunate to have edited four or five books that she wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, uh, we are a very good team. We have very complementary skills. And um, she is a, a jeweler here in Asheville. And we uh, decided to embark on a, opening a, a retail store together. Which is very exciting. Talk about giving birth to something. <laughs> it is really exciting. And, um, you know, it allowed me to stay, remain in Nashville, which, you know, was a number one priority because I love where I live. And uh, my life here is really grand. And so um, you can kind of invent, um, a, we wanted to invent kind of something new for, for the jewelry world in um, having a retail space um, that was very warm and inviting uh, mm. and, and uh, not very austere and standoffish, uh, but really engaged with people that was comfortable and uh, really got people's hands on the work. And now what are you carrying all kinds of work? What are you carrying in your store? Um, we carry almost everything we carry right now is almost entirely made by Joanna Goldberg. We have um, one other a handmaker that we carry and a couple of pieces that are fashion jewelry. And do you have a, oh, so that's sort of interesting. So, and what kind of work does she make? Describe to us, um, or what was one of the books that you did together? Uh, the Art and Craft of Making Jewelry, also um, The Ultimate Jeweler's Guide, Making Metal Jewelry. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And what is it that drew you to that that you knew? Because that's, you know, that's a big commitment to go and say, no, I love this person's work. I want to open a store and feature around that or a gallery and feature all of that. Well, um, I think that, uh, for one thing, I I have been loving and wearing her work for a really long time. Um, She made my wedding ring. Oh, you're a good fan. (laughs) I'm a a huge fan. Everyone needs someone like you. Everyone who makes makes things needs someone like you in their life. Well, thank you. I, you know, I've been wearing her jewelry for for quite some time. I love it. It's extremely well made and extremely original. And um, we... uh, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. That's okay. It sounds like you just clicked as two people here, each at the right time in your life to move on to the next thing. Exactly. And we were kind of looking at um, the traditional uh, artists. I hear the, the store, the gallery dog. That's chicken. Chi- oh, it doesn't sound like a chicken. but That's my puppy named Chicken. Oh, what she, kind of puppy? She's a Pomeranian Shih Tzu mix. Oh, cute. <laughs> You can see uh, her picture on our Facebook page. I will definitely She's be looking. She's very popular here. Of course. <laughs> well, it sounds like, besides that you had this um, mashup, 
of uh, similarities, you also have changed your lifestyle to a new way of working. I mean, you're working now in your own place with your own dog there. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a different change of things. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's, um, I've gone back to, you know, a, a company of two instead of a large corporate entity, which right. Lark was because it was owned by Barnes and Noble. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. So that was a, a giant corporation. And, and this um, is so exciting because, you know, it takes two people to set policy. Don't you love that? <laughs> which I love it. And uh, yeah, it's wonderful working you know, with a friend, it's wonderful working uh, at a very small business, being entrepreneurial, making decisions. Um, it getting, was a lot of fun putting the store together um, visually. Yeah, oh, yeah. Getting a space for us to enjoy. Um, and well, walk us through what it's like, first of all, to be in Asheville. You just said you love it there. Asheville is a very unique town in the United States. It's um. It's in the west, uh, the mountains of Western North Carolina, which are the Blue Ridge Mountains, which okay. you know set a, a beautiful, beautiful, uh, rolling mountain, luscious green scene. Um, Asheville is has a population of about sixty thousand people. Okay. Um, it has um, the Biltmore House, which is the America's largest private residence, as well as the Grove Park Inn, which is a very notable arts and crafts um, establishment. And Penland School of Crafts is is just an hour away. So you have this very vibrant, progressive, um, maker-oriented economy here. Mm. Um, Our downtown is very vibrant, um, very revitalized, um, mostly independent stores. And um, people love to visit here because it is so unique. It doesn't look like the other towns in America because you just don't see the same kind of mass market um, shops and whatnot. Oh, nice. Town. Getting so, away from mall mentality, in other words. Exactly, exactly. Lots of uh, health food and great restaurants, and I just, it's a wonderful place. Have you lived there long? I've lived here 20 years next year. Mm-hmm. And where were you from originally? Originally, I'm from Louisiana, okay. but I went to school in New York, New York so... Oh, you I- went Manhattan? Uh, I went to school at Sarah Lawrence. In oh, Boston. you did? Okay. Um, but then I lived in Manhattan afterwards and actually worked on television commercials, um, but moved back to North Carolina to be a curator, a private curator. But I bet all of that, television commercials included, all of that gives you uh, strategies and information that I'm sure you're using today in opening up a store. Oh, definitely so. I mean, I think that, that my um, experience as a production coordinator on those television commercials helped me yeah. really define um, all kinds of skills that I need now I'm still using. Isn't it fun? I love when that happens. <laughs> oh, yeah. They just all build upon themselves. It's they really do. exciting. Yeah, it is fun to look back at that. So um, now the name of your store is Mora, I believe, mm-hmm. correct? What is yeah. that? Does that mean something in particular to you? It does. It means peacock in Sanskrit. And peacock symbolizes what? Oh, uh, just this beautiful display of color and mm-hmm. uh, regal beauty and natural beauty. And uh, both Joanna and I um, are uh, world travelers. Um, that's one of our big passions that we share. And we've both been to India. Mm-hmm. And we were planning this store. She was in India and I was in the United States. And we were sending ideas back and forth um, uh, over internet while she was gone, and, and that's where we came up with the name. 
I love that. Yeah, when you think about it, peacocks are a pretty funny, crazy bird. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They are. It's our color palette inside of our store, too. Are those nice. rich, um, blue, green, purple jewel tones. Nice. And is there something that, um, I'm sorry, her name is Joanne, your partner, correct? Joanna. Yeah, Joanna. Mm -hmm. Is there a style color that you both are gravitate to? Oh, well, I think we like the oranges and reds an awful lot. Um, And I think that comes from, you know, probably ethnic textiles and fabrics. Okay. But, you know, we love them all. I mean, we we work with a lot of peridot, amethyst. So you do feature a lot of stones. We do feature an awful lot of stones. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a lot of wonderful energy in stones. You never get bored looking at an alive stone. That's true. And Joanna's a real master of, of color. And um, her color studies in gemstones are really quite unique because she uses, you know, the rough gems as well as the highly polished faceted gems together. In oh, just- I love that. Mm-hmm. That's always juicy and lovely. Do you think, what would you say, maybe this doesn't matter to what you're doing there, but do you see a... I guess trend is the right word to use, but that style that's most popular, like in nail polish, obviously now blue is totally acceptable. And I was going to put gray on the other day, which I couldn't believe how I was living gray nail polish. And how does that happen? You know, whatever. So, but as you see that also in jewelry and making right now, a style that is very popular. Yeah, but it, it, it not so much in the, in the jewelry that, that we show and sell, but I think that if you look on a broader scale, a global scale, yeah. um, especially when I was doing all the 500 books, I could tell <laughs> immediately what trends were happening right. because we'd get so many entries that, that had the same look to them. There you go. But um, I think that you know a lot of tabs, um, a lot of embroidery, a lot of floss on metal, a lot of... Uh, really bright plastics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think those are really popular now. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot. I mean, still, still the the faux faceted um, kind of um, fake carved diamond look, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the diamond silhouette look. I mean, those are things that I've been around a couple of years, but they're still they won't go away. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm not surprised. What's wrong with a diamond, I say? <laughs> it's always a good thing. Well, now, what I love, though, is, and you are being creative, and I see all that, but I love that you have yet, or maybe you have. Do you ever say, I'm going to make something today. I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm just going to try something. Or are you like, no, I'm not. I'm not touching up anything. I don't want to make a thing. Um, well, I did participate for quite a while in the Ring of Day Challenge, Oh, okay, right. Which was a, a Flickr project. But um, I refrained from making jewelry for a long time because it made me a better editor. Yeah, yeah. Because if I could, if I didn't know what I was doing when I started editing directions on how to make a project, I found that I would ask more questions of the author. Oh, that's excellent. Of course, um, that makes sense, right? Because a lot of times when people write about sawing or soldering, they leave out steps because they're second nature to them as professionals. That's an excellent point. Yeah. So I never, I, I consciously did not um, do any making of metal jewelry. But I think now that um, I'm not editing full time, I might try something. Oh, okay. That sounds good class. I think that'd be fun. 
Well, it's always a nice outlet here and there. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're doing what you're doing. Now, what's your? Is there a part that you love the most about a lot? Now, see, for me, the I would be the last thing I'd want is a live store. I mean, that's not for me at all. So it's interesting how we find the things that resonate that way. What is it that you love about having a live brick and mortar store? Well, you know, I think that one of the things that um, kept me uh, locked for so long is that I felt like that the work that I was doing was really introducing a very wide audience to handmade jewelry mm-hmm. um, and, and reaching out, you know, to every bookstore in the country and showing them these great designs that artists are making and the breadth of creativity. Um, but I finding, I'm finding the one-on-one interaction with the public um, to educate them about how a piece is made, to watch them, you know, be in awe that they've never seen anything like this before. Right. All of this work looks so different to them, and they're so excited by it. Just because they haven't been exposed to it, um, that's really, really exciting. Yeah. Um, creatively, I think that I really have found um, a great love for visual merchandising. Mm, okay. I think that, um, you know, what, what my favorite part of, one of my favorite parts of my job at Lark was um, putting the images for the 500 books in order so that you could, you know, it was like uh, flipping through a visual, like an exhibition in print, so to speak. So you're telling a story. Yes. And, and then um, it's just translated so nicely into our cases here at the store um, and, and our cabinets where we show the work. It's um, arranging, the, arranging the displays. It's very similar. Yes. Oh, but it's three dimensions now, which is really nice. Yes. Oh, yes. I understand that totally. I love styling and setting up the sets in my old life that way because you're creating a uh, visual journey and a little mm-hmm. set. It's like a little play for someone when they come in. Mm-hmm. And then you can change it whenever you want, mm-hmm. which makes it really fun. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Uh, well, I knew, I'm so glad I finally got to talk to you, Ms. Martha Levan. And your new shop is called Mora, M-O-R-A, in Asheville, North Carolina. From your description, I'd like to be down there this afternoon. It sounds like a fabulous place to come hang out, certainly for a weekend, and enjoy the whole experience. It is, and I recommend that you get on the next flight down here. I will. I think <laughs> I will. Now, tell everyone your um, website so they can find out more about you. Uh, my personal website is MarthaLevan.com, and that talks about my writing and the work that I'm doing um, for my own business now. And my store website is MoraCollection.com, and that'll tell you about uh, the store that I'm running downtown in Nashville. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you all enjoyed my talk with Ms. Martha Levant. I know I did. Uh, And again, if you want to, a great bonus question. She talked about most important thing to know before opening a retail store. She shares that. uh, So get the CraftCast app. You can go over to Amazon or iTunes. Um, I think it's $2.99. And you get, you know, bonus information on every interview that's put out there. So go get that and hear what she has to say. She's got a a lot of great information. Okay, so I have a little thing to discuss for the ET section of the show, the entertaining thought section of the show, which is something that comes up a lot uh, that I hear about. And I was going to share my take on this, my approach to the inevitable, quote unquote, creative block. And this is what I've discovered after years of working creatively, that I really don't call it creative block anymore. I don't really think of it that way. 
uh, I think that it's all part of the creative cycle. So that feeling of, and I digress for one second, let us not confuse with procrastinating to get into the studio. I'm not talking about procrastinating because you just don't want to make the time or you have unfinished projects or you don't know where to start or your studio's a mess. I'm not talking about procrastination. I'm talking about the thing that sometimes people refer to as creative block. And, you know, they just don't feel they're getting anywhere. It's not right. It's, you know, they can't think of the next thing. That feeling, which usually also brings up a whole bunch of panic too. So my discovery is that Creative block is really the wrong term to use. It's really part of the creative process. It doesn't always feel comfortable, but it's a part of the creative process. So here's my analogy for that. Uh, I was thinking way back when I attempted making bread. I don't do that anymore. Um, you know, you make the bread and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're doing all the creative process and you're putting in the seasonings or whatever. And then you put the yeast in and you need, 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 need. And then you have to put it to rest. And even though it's resting under that damp white diaper cloth you always had to have in a bowl, uh, it's still, you're still making bread. You're just in that process. You know, it's the rising, doing, happening process that you don't really notice until you pick up that, that um, cloth and then you see, wow, look, it's, it's done its thing. So, I really look at that as the same way with the creative process. It's like, you know, you make your bread, you're doing it, you're doing it, and then you have to put it aside and let it just do its thing, rise on its own, uh, somehow, you know, form into that next thing. And it might feel like, you know, you're in a creative block, but just like, you know, when you're trying to make bread or do one of those things and you have to put it to rest and you go out and you do something else and then you come back sort of fresh and renewed. That's how I approach it now. I don't really look at it as a creative block. I look at it as a place where the yeast just needs to do its thing and ferment and the bread has to rise a bit and, uh, and you just have to be patient. It was always hard being patient for that bread to rise. So there you go. That's my take on the creative block, uh, creative blocks. I hope that I hope that maybe helps you guys out there, a new way of looking at something. Love to hear from you and hear your opinion about that. Okay, so that's it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed all of that. And remember, you can always come over to uh, craftcast.com, where I put all the links up for today's show. And you know I love hearing from all of you. And you can send me an email over at allison at craftcast.com, as well as you can leave me a voicemail at 877-819-1859. All that info is again on the site. And there we go. And so until next time, you know what I have to say. Get your butt in the chair and keep crafting. Just get your